0: Everywhere you go, you hear stories of the failures of Christian leaders. One of the biggest podcasts in the Christian world of the last few years chronicled the rise and fall of a big church in America. It was really about the failure of leadership. In Australia, we recently had a Royal Commission into the failures of institutions to deal with abuse. And although it was broader than churches churches and parachurch ministries featured. In this, we came face to face not only with the evil of individual people abusing power, but almost worse, the sinful systems, groups of leaders working to protect themselves and institutions compounding harm to survivors. In the past few weeks, there have been shockwaves going through the worldwide Anglican movement as bishops in England have failed to stand for the truth of the Bible. In different ways, stories of leaders failing. Today we're going to listen to some final words of Paul, Paul Paul's final message to the leaders of the Ephesian church, the elders from Ephesus. Now, you might think this message isn't for you. You don't think of yourself as a leader, Uh, You might feel like this passage is not just preaching to the choir, it's preaching to the preacher. Uh, But I want to encourage you, this part of the Bible is for everyone. We're all called to encourage leaders to live up to their calling. If you're a church member, you have an essential role in appointing ministers and elders. Also, for many of us, at some point, we're going to move away from Gympie, we'll move, live somewhere else, and when you're looking to join a church... Seeing if the leadership follows God's design is a, a big part of joining a church. So this part of the Bible speaks to us all. It also speaks to us about Jesus and therefore it is for everyone. Uh, so we're picking things up. After Paul's been on a bit of a journey, uh, he's spent a fair bit of time in Ephesus and then has travelled around both modern day Turkey and Greece and he's on his, what will be his last journey to Jerusalem and he's doing his best to make it a fast journey He hasn't got time to detour to Ephesus, but Ephesus has been a central place for his ministry. And so although he hasn't got time to go there, he organises for the elders to come to him in a town called Miletus. These are his last words to these church leaders, his last chance to encourage them, teach them, prepare them to keep leading God's people. And Paul does two things, two things as he teaches them. First, he gives them a model, his own ministry. Second, he tells them what their main job is, the one thing they must do as leaders of God's church. So first up, Paul reminds them of how he has served Jesus, the character, conduct and content of his ministry. So let's read from Acts chapter 20, 17. So this is verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents." Paul kicks off with his character. His ministry has been humble and heartfelt. He's been humble. Paul's always been on about Jesus. Paul's not on about building a name, a platform for himself. He's not a celebrity or an influencer. He makes much of Jesus. And they've seen his integrity because it's been heartfelt. Rob Smith saying that boys don't cry. That may or may not be true, but godly men do. Paul cried with them through suffering and persecution, grieving with them as loved ones died, weeping at hard hearts, people who heard the gospel but rejected it. This must be the character of Christian leadership, humble and heartfelt. Are the content, the message is the gospel, repentance and faith. Verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, one of the things you might be wondering about here is, Why, Paul says, nothing of the amazing miracles he performed. If you look back into chapter 19, verse 11, uh, this is what was happening in Ephesus. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. These things were astounding, Paul didn't even have to be present. Bits of cloth cast out demons. Even Luke calls them extraordinary miracles. And here's Paul, his last opportunity to encourage and strengthen the elders. Why doesn't he say anything about the amazing power of God these elders had seen with their own eyes? It's because this part of Paul's ministry wasn't to be repeated. These amazing things really happened, no doubt about it. God does amazing things, but they aren't normal, regular Christian ministry. They weren't even normal or regular for the apostle. Extraordinary. A question we need to ask as we read parts of the Bible like Acts is, what bits are Descriptive, describing historical reality. What bits are prescriptive, prescribing what Christians should do? Is this event descriptive or prescriptive? And as Paul lays out his, his model of ministry, he focuses on the prescriptive things. The model the Ephesian elders and churches throughout the ages should be copying. And what is the model? Humility and love in leadership. Proclaiming repentance and faith. This is the one thing the church must do, non-negotiable. If we don't do this, we are not the church. We must call people to repentance to God and faith in Jesus. There are other things, good things that... Christians do, as we love our neighbours, nurse the sick, feed the hungry, house refugees. But these things are not the mission of the church. They're not the one thing we must do. Proclaiming repentance and faith is. Repentance means turning away from sin and turning to God. When we repent, we admit we're sinners. We, there's nothing in us worthy of God's love, but we rely on God's love and forgiveness. We rest in the forgiveness achieved by Jesus on the cross. Repentance breeds humility. you see how these things all go together? The character of leadership fits the content of the gospel. Repentance breeds humility. You can't be proud as you own up to your sin and failures. And faith in Jesus breeds love. As you experience the love of Christ, it, it has to overflow in love for others. So we've had character and content. And now Paul reminds us of his courage his commitment to Jesus, no matter what comes his way. So we're back now in chapter 20. So chapter 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Uh, Jesus said his followers would be persecuted. Uh, Paul has had his fair share and the Ephesian elders knew it. Uh, We skipped over it, but at the end of chapter 19, there's a massive riot in Ephesus. The silversmiths are furious because the gospel is hurting their, their back pocket. A big part of their business was making statues, making idols of the goddess Artemis. But people were becoming Christian and, and also the extraordinary miracles God was doing. Even the people who weren't converted, the appeal of worshipping a bit of metal was tarnished. And so the silversmiths kick up a stink. They try to get the Christians and Jews booted out of Ephesus because none of them were building, buying their idols And it was scary, a riot. People were, Christians were rightly afraid of their lives during the riot and the protest. Paul and the Ephesian Christians knew what Jesus said was true. There would be persecution. But even more, Paul had been through lots and it wasn't over yet. Yet he was willing to suffer prison and even death for the sake of Christ. Why? Why is he willing to suffer? Because he trusts God. Suffering, imprisonment, it's not because God's lost control. It's because this is what believers in Jesus have been called to. A good question for us. Could you say the same words as Paul? That you know suffering is coming but you're fully committed. You're committed to trust God no matter what. So we've heard Paul's character, the the content of his message and the commitment. Uh, The final thing we hear about Paul's ministry is he's got clean hands. Verse 25, Now I know that none um, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that i am innocent of the blood of any of you for i have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of god uh, paul is echoing something god said hundreds of years earlier to ezekiel god told ezekiel he was a watchman like a security guard the job of the watchman is keep watch watch out for danger And if a watchman or a security guard sees danger or an invading army or a wild animal on the loose, and if the the watchman doesn't sound the alarm, then whatever happens is on him. He has blood on his hands. But if the watchman sounds the alarm and no one listens, well, it's, it's their fault. God made Ezekiel a watchman. He wasn't warning people of an invading army or a wild animal. His job was to warn people of God's coming judgment. So I've got it up on the screen. Have a listen to what God said to Ezekiel. I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. And it goes on and kind of says the opposite side of things as well. If Ezekiel does tell them and they don't listen, well then blood's on their own hands. Paul's using the same language. God has made him a watchman to warn people that Jesus is risen and will return to judge And he's not only to give a warning, but hope. There is forgiveness and salvation in Jesus, repentance and faith. Jesus died for your sin. And Paul's final words to the elders from Ephesus is, my hands are clean. I've sounded the warning. No one can say they didn't hear. Now, we haven't been given the same commission as Ezekiel and in a certain way, not the same as Paul either. But the picture, the picture sits in your head, doesn't it? Could you say you've got clean hands? Have you sounded the alarm? Jesus will return to judge. Think of the people you know and love. Do they know Jesus is their only hope? So we've heard Paul describe his ministry, what elders in Ephesus should imitate. Now, verse 28, he gives an instruction to the elders. The one thing they must do. Their job is to have eyes open, to be awake, to be ready and to protect God's people from danger. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock So for the Ephesian elders, and I take it all Christian leaders, this is their job. Be on your guard. Keep watch. And Paul says it twice. It's important. Why? Because there are threats, external and internal, fierce wolves from outside, false teachers from inside. The sharp teeth of the wolves do all sorts of damage to little lambs. They might bite with persecution, physical attacks. They might snarl with mockery. They might howl with words to cause doubt and confusion. But the threat isn't just outside, it's inside too, people you thought were Christian. Maybe even men who were once elders, leaders of the church, but they become self-obsessed. They take their eyes off the truth given in Jesus and they lead people astray. Maybe these false teachers deny key Christian truth, deny Jesus rose from the dead, deny he is the only way to be saved. Maybe they say sin isn't that bad. They bless what God condemns. Maybe they take the focus off Jesus, turn, turn following Jesus into a political cause, trying to create an earthly kingdom instead of a kingdom of God. Leaders need to be on alert for these threats. Elders are watchmen. And this is really important because of what is threatened? The church of God. What makes God's church precious? It's precious because it's been bought by his own blood. Did you hear that? It's an astounding statement, the blood of God. Now, verse 28 That's where we read that phrase, could also be translated the blood of God's own. And then you fill in the blank and you say, well, it's his own son. And you can see that suggested translation in the footnotes. But I think the translation we have up the top is good. It's provocative, but it's good. What does it mean, God's own blood? We've got to read the words carefully. Paul didn't say the Father's blood. God the Father doesn't have a body, so no blood. It's also not the Holy Spirit's blood, but it says God's own blood. This is a statement about the true divinity of Jesus. A good summary of what the Bible teaches is found in the Westminster Confession. It puts it this way. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very and eternal God, took on man's nature. Just as the baby in the womb is very an eternal God, so the one on the cross is very an eternal God. Jesus didn't stop being God on the cross, and so it's right to say the church was bought with God's own blood. And that's why it's precious. That's why you, church, are precious and to be protected. When you have visitors come over, do you pull out the good plates, the good china, or the cheap stuff you grab from Big W? Well, we protect the stuff that's precious, isn't it? Only for special visitors does the precious stuff get brought out. You, church, are precious. This isn't anything to be puffed up by. Our value isn't so much what we're worth, but by what was paid. The blood of God's own son shows his love and therefore the immense value of you, church. And this is why elders must keep watch. God values his church. And this is why elders, Christian leaders, have to watch themselves, especially their heart, their motivation that they are never motivated by greed or personal gain. Verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Religion in Ephesus was all about money. That's why the silversmiths led a riot. They didn't really care about the glory of their goddess. They wanted to line their own pockets. Religion was abused to get rich. But that must never be the case for Christian leaders. Jesus gave it all. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe the words of Jesus? More blessed to give than receive. I think these are very hard words to believe. We normally think someone is blessed because of what they've got. When you get a new job, you're blessed by God. When you get over a sickness, you're blessed by God. But that's not what Jesus says. The act of giving, selfless, care for others, that's the blessing itself. The pastor with three mansions, membership to two exclusive golf clubs, he is not blessed. Those who pour out their lives in serving others, that's blessing. Just briefly, the elephant in the room, Paul isn't saying gospel ministers shouldn't be financially supported we saw that last week in corinth when paul was able he stopped making tents he was supported by aquila and priscilla and others so he could be devoted to the ministry but in ephesus where religion was all about greed paul worked with his hands more blessed to give I'm thankful in our denomination, stipends are set by an independent commission, takes the stress off the committee of management, but it takes temptation away from me. Because we've seen the scandal when elders, pastors, overseers, whatever they're called, when they're motivated by greed, when they abuse authority. It destroys people and, and churches bought by God's blood. It brings scandal and shame on the name of Jesus which is why we need elders who are humble and loving, which we see as Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. As I said at the start, this part of the Bible might sound like it's preaching to preachers. What relevant does it have for all of us? Uh, One important thing every church needs to do, and our church is the same, is to recognise and raise up elders. Men who have the character we see here, who are humble uh, and who love God and his church who are consistent, not motivated by greed or power, who are men of conviction, who will keep watch over the flock, personally hold fast to God's truth and teach God's truth and are able to defend that truth. As a church, we're in a situation where we have assessor elders. The elders of our church are external, appointed by the presbytery. Can I urge us all to be praying that God would raise up elders from amongst us, that the Holy Spirit would empower men to take up the role of oversight and that the Holy Spirit would help us recognise, encourage and support them. It's my prayer God would do that for us this year and then we'd continue seeing more elders raised up. Though, we need to be careful In a situation like this, it's easy for us to get anxious and to rush. But in 1 Timothy, we are told to be slow to lay on hands. Because when the wrong person gets into leadership, the damage is huge. Someone who's not holding fast to God's truth or isn't equipped to defend the truth for the good of God's flock. Someone who isn't living consistently with the gospel, who isn't humble and loving church, we need to be carefully looking to the right people to be elders, encouraging current elders to live up to their calling, because they're elders, overseers, pastors of God's church, the church God bought with the precious blood of Christ, God the Son. So let's pray. Father God, we are grieved as we hear of failures of leadership in churches and Christian organisations, we ask you to be protecting us and the churches of our region from ungodly leadership. Thank you for those who've led this church over the last forty years. Please continue to raise up men convinced of the truth and godly in character to oversee our church which you have bought with your own blood. Protect us from fierce wolves outside and those from within who would lead astray. May we all, and particularly elders, be discerning and courageous. Help us be wise and patient. Help us to encourage and value elders and other Christian leaders who live and lead in a way shaped by the gospel of Jesus. We ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen.